Welcome back. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. I'm your host, Bob Walton Spiel, hanging out with co-host, producer extraordinaire, Randy Walker. Guest this week, David Wan. This is going to be a fantastic conversation. First time, I think, in our history of our show that we uh, are talking all things MarTech. We're talking UX. We're talking how being good at what you do gets you to own a company. And we're going to talk about uh, scrumdetroit.com, little meetup group that we want to do some uh, co-opting with. But hey, you can find us online, itinthed.com. Do us a favor. Give us a like on the socials. Subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. Uh, we're going to figure out the rest of the year on meetup.com slash We're going to be at the Eastern Palace Club. Um, we're moving them up a week because of Thanksgiving and Christmas, but we're going to end the year there. Oh, it's still going to be third Thursday? Still third Thursday, the 16th. There it is. So, yeah, check us out, meetup.com slash ITNT. Fantastic venue, great people, really good barbecue. The pastrami was absolutely insane. Um, Good drinks, and uh, they like having us there. So that's always a – it's funny with these venues in Detroit. We get the the pushback, and we don't don't want 50 nerds there just drinking and not causing fights and causing a ruckus, you know. We want to charge you extra. We're like, we don't, you know, it's, it's a cool group. So no, I'm uh, we're happy to finish the year out at a place that uh, appreciates us. So Dave, how you doing? How are they treating you? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. First time uh, I will say ever on a podcast and I'm, I'm excited to do this. It's, it's This is easy. Like I said, this is like hanging out at the coffee shop. It's no different. Um, yeah. We're getting into something that I'm like completely novice idiot, <clears throat> which is common, but <laughs> you see you're the expert at this all so pardon the dumb questions and pardon the idiocracy but martech is a phrase that's thrown around a lot and some people just nod and think that they know what they're talking about and uh, other people actually know what they're doing i know you know what you're doing but just i guess for anyone like you know on the data center side or a, a um, you know a software nerd that doesn't really know what is yeah. what is in your terms martech uh, so it's, to me, it means a couple of things, um, but there, there's what the industry would, would uh, you know, coin MarTech. And so like Gartner says, MarTech is, uh, you know, when you um, basically it's, it's any set of uh, uh, marketing capabilities that are integrated, that enable, uh, you know, targeting and, and acquiring and retaining clients. And so that's like a real blanket statement of what it is. But MarTech has really only been around as like an actual like classification of technology since like 2010, 2011. And at that point, when they first kind of classify what is MarTech, it was like maybe there were 250 players in the space. And now there's like over 11,000 companies that all are in the MarTech space. And so it's it's a lot of different types of technologies and uh, platforms that you would use in order to be able to, uh, you know, understand who your client is, understand how your client's engaging you, and then understand how you can target specific sets of clients through many different channels, whether that's like on your website, whether that's through email, whether that's through SMS or text, or whether that's through push notifications on the mobile app or direct mail. Um, All of that involves a ton ton of data, a ton of automation, and a ton of uh, Martech essentially like a, a Martech stack at most companies that make that. happen. So I feel like Mar- the this the t- the stuff's been around for as long as I've been around in this business. What 
change yeah. to make it Martech? Is this just like some marketing person, you know, said, you know, we need to call toilet paper bathroom tissue. And then, you know, it's really in essence the same shit or, or I guess. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. A little bit. Um, so a good example is there's a whole classification within MarTech called DXP, and that stands for Digital Experience Platform. And a lot of uh, kind of the, the old school CMSs, uh, content management systems, which are things I'm sure you've heard of before, Absolutely. like WordPress. Everyone knows what WordPress is, sure. right? Uh, you use WordPress, what? To go build a website and you make it so that um, anyone can help manage the content on that website. Um, that's, that's a thing that's been around for a very long time. CMSs have been around a long time. Um, a DXP, what that is, is it basically takes the capability of what a CMS does, but then it layers on a few other things. It layers on the ability to have some built-in analytics to uh, understand uh, you know, the behavior of people when they're visiting your sites. Uh, and then it adds in the ability to be able to uh, target uh, very specific um, uh, visitors to get uh, personalized experiences. Uh, and, and then to integrate in with the rest of your MarTech stack to be able to carry those personalized experiences over from web into email and the next channel and the next channel. So when you start to break into like multi-channel, uh, you know, um, uh, strategies and personalization and engagement, that's when it starts to go. It's, it's no longer CMS. That's now DXP. And that that's when it really kind of crosses over into the MarTech space. So I got to call out. I'm going to call someone out because I'm, uh, I'm angry at them right now. But, you know, I found out a buddy of mine called me up and he goes, why are you creeping on my website? And I go, how the hell do you know I'm creeping on your website? He goes, oh, trust me. I know. And uh, I went, I've been, we've been house shopping lately. I know it's a great market for it. Um, but I'm literally, I'm literally getting phone calls every time I click on a house from realtor.com and I hate their guts for it. Um, and I'm like, I didn't <laughs> click a form. I didn't fill anything out. And he goes, yeah, we saw you clicking around. And I'm like, you're calling me on my cell phone. So like, how is this an ethics thing? Or like, I guess what do, do each company write their own rules on how they engage with pers prospective clients? Well, I mean, every, every company can do whatever they want. Right. Yeah. But then there's ultimately, um, you know, regulators and, and uh, you know, and, and essentially, um, you know, whether if you're in uh, you know Europe, there's a set of standards. Uh, if you're in the U.S., there's actually a set of standards. Um, the, the, the California um, uh, uh, Privacy Act uh, that essentially um, in the in the U.S., uh, you know, you you actually have a lot of control because of the way legislation was passed in California. And if you're going to, you know, if you're in the U.S., you're doing business in California, you can't really selectively target how you're, uh, you know, handling someone in California versus the next state over. And you, and you don't want to really risk that. And so there's there's a set of, um, you know, laws that say, um you as the consumer have complete control of your data and you need to give explicit permission in being able to use that data to market to you. And so that's why you'll notice over the last few years, every website you visit, you're getting a pop-up that asks you to consent or not consent. Uh, you have the right to be able to contact a company and say, I need to see every bit of data you have on me. You have the right to contact a company and say, you know, I, I need you to uh, delete all of my data. Um, you know, so maybe not every um, company is is playing by the rules that they're supposed to but there are regulators out there constantly looking for people not following the rules and more than more than that there are people looking to you know to bring class action lawsuits against 
um, you know, companies and the bigger, the better. Uh, so, uh, you know, I would I would not doubt that a company like Realtor.com is probably doing the best they can to try and um ethically handle all of your data but there there certainly is like hey when they when they play perfectly by the rules yeah um there can be a certain degree of personalization that hits like this creepy factor and i'd say the goal is a, a you know someone in martech someone in, in the engineering side of the the digital marketing space there's always a goal we have of like giving you information that's so relevant that you wouldn't consider it to be marketing, but you just consider it to be good information, sure. but not crossing a line to where you're suddenly like, okay, that's creepy. That's weird. Why did you, why did you know that? Uh, even though like there are situations where legally we, we might know that and we might want to, you know, put that in front of you, but we'll always have to stop and consider like, uh, what's that going to, what's that experience going to be like for me? Sure. Sure. I, I feel like I'm the biggest sucker for the predictive analytics model on social media and I'll explain why I was just uh I texted Randy last week that I bought a pair of uh, perfect jeans um I probably saw a million dollars worth of their ads and now I'm looking at everything I've wore all summer we were joking because all the guys at this barbecue we went to were all wearing huck shorts we're all wearing hey dude shoes and like half of us were wearing fresh clean tees and I just bought a pair of perfect jeans and I'm like you know as much as like bitch about mark marketing or you know data for that matter i go they they must know me all too well because like i'm com- i'm a complete sucker but i love all the products that's the weird thing um but it's like they you know i think facebook wrote the bible on it but i think that this whole predictive analytics thing like oh this guy's a sucker for you know flash gordon t-shirts we're gonna put it like a every down a dollar of marketing to him i mean is that is that in essence what's going on uh i, I mean yeah of course right you know like you, you have um uh, and cookies are are you know with um changes that Apple has made and Chrome has made and Google has made, right? Like uh, to the, to the way that um, you can use cookies and how they're stored. Uh, you know, it's, it's moving more and more away from, uh, you know, using cookies to, to do that kind of tracking. But, um, but absolutely it is no coincidence when you are browsing a site and then you suddenly get a commercial, uh, you know, on your, uh, you know, Comcast TV, that kind of matches the thing that you you were just looking at not that long ago on Facebook, and uh, you know, and then the, the 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 search results when you search on Google tend to start to you know match the the, the pattern. Like this this is all all intended, right? This mm. is all uh, you know. This is this is how, how a billion dollar industry was created around search. I hate all of it, but I'm a complete sucker for it. So I want to get into UX and UX never, not that it never made sense to me, and never I never. Like there was no, like, it's like architecture. There's an art form and there's, there's, you know, four walls and there's a floor, you know, with UX with me, which is, you know, obviously the user experience when you're going to a website, um, if you don't know the so many acronyms in this world, I swear to God. Um, But like UX, it never, are you like when, let's say you're a UX designer, are you going by, Hey, here's the 800 pound gorilla in my industry. I'm going to model what they're doing. Are you doing trial and error going, you know, Hey, our website, you know, we're not getting the traction or our social media is not getting, you know, and we're just doing trial and error until something pops. Like what is the process of the, you know, I guess pass fail when you're, are you, are you, are you bringing in 20 people into a, into a, you know, focus group and asking them what, what sucks? Like walk me through like the the life of uh, being in UX. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think it depends on, 
how big of a company you're at and and how big of a new feature right you're releasing so if um you know of course yeah if you're if you're a big company and you're investing a lot in developing and building out uh, you know say an entirely new experience um and you you already have a lot baked into your your brand and you know you don't really want to take a lot of big risk you might do a you know a ton of research uh, you know, where you're going to have focus groups and they're going to come in and you're going to, you know, prototype things with them and ask for feedback and try and, you know, figure out what the um, brand perception is going to be and, and you know, all of these, these things. But uh, I, I think, you know, most, most of the time, at least in the MarTech space, um, uh, you know, our, our test is going to be uh, with a live audience. And we're going to release, you know, like we'll release a change on a particular, say, like a, a form that you're filling out. So say you're on, you know, one of those websites you were just talking about, you clicked on the ad for the new jeans and, um, you know, you've, you cost that company money when you clicked on that ad. Um, you know, they, they paid some real dollar amount and depending on the industry, like if you're in the say mortgage or, or real estate industry, you might, you might have actually cost that company like 20, 30, 40, $50 just for wow. clicking that ad. And so it's, it's kind of game on at that point of, you know, now you, you have that person um, and whether or not you're able to get them to go from the start of that lead form to the end of it is, um, you know, going to determine whether or not that investment you just made of getting that person on the page is worth it. Right. So so you're going to you're going to test that and, and you're going to, you know, if you make a change to that page. You probably aren't going to make it for many users. You're, you're going to do a little bit of a split. You're going to take your champion, the page that is already working, and you're going to test it against a, a page that you've hypothesized is going to perform better. Right. And you're going to see whether or not it actually does perform better using an A-B test before you start to dial more and more traffic over to that. New see, is it, is, is it, I'm just trying to, I'm thinking like, the users that would go to the page, right? And let's say, you know, like, I'm just going through like my family. You have a uh, a 16-year-old daughter who's raised, obviously, with a, with a phone in her hand. Um, you have my wife who's not tech-savvy at all. She's in the medical field. I'm tech-savvy. Then you have, like, my dad that's not tech-savvy. And you have all these people hitting Levi's.com. Right. And, and is it just, are they just trying to, when they're, when, you, when they're building it, are they just trying to hit the max good or, you know, because obviously you have so many different people, then you have people from different cultures, different languages. Um, obviously they, yeah. they, they, there's translation, but, um, what, what, what all goes I, into that? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine a company as big as, uh, Levi's or any, any large company that has a really, um, good traffic base. When you start to get to like high volumes of traffic, um, and you've, you know, you say you've optimized a page for conversion for just the, the general population. Um, the way that you continue to, uh, you know, whittle away to like get more and more and more conversion is by then starting to segment your, your traffic and, and exactly what, like what you were saying of like, you can tell based off of, uh, you know, the, 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 the patterns and behaviors and, and where else this person has visited and what other, you know, first and, and, uh, you know, a third party, uh, information you can get, uh, you, you can start to determine like, hey, this person, if I show them this version of this page or if I ask the question in these order or in this order, if I show them, you know, these images instead of these ones, they may convert higher. And so then it gets into not really just being an A or B, but it's like an A for Bob, B for Randy, you know, C for this other group. And, uh, you know, that's really when you get into 
MarTech. That, that's when you get into DXP and, and that's like so much more than just a, a simple CMS that's made to build a content or build a web page and, and manage the content. But now you're getting into like some pretty advanced technology that's using a lot of, you know, like uh, AI and machine learning and, and things to be able to continually, uh, you know, uh, learn and, and train out these models that, that will determine which experience is going to be optimized for what segment of your, your, uh, your, so I'll give, some, your I'll give some local love. Like I, I, we're on jeans and I know, uh, Detroit denim. So I went to DetroitDenim.com, and I'm just, you know, fishing through it right now. And it's obscenely simple. Like they, they, you, my dad could buy jeans on this site. Like they did a really fantastic job of just keeping things mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. simple. So like, you know, granted they only have, you know, a handful of SKUs, um, so I can see that, you know, where the UX comes in, where, you know, you figured, you figured it out, you nailed it. But like on a multi, like I'm not talking Amazon cause it's the behemoth, but like, I'm trying to think something in between that's got a lot of skews. Let's say you're, you know, Walgreens or something again, what is, you know, yeah. uh, you know, when you talk about you know, so like AB testing, we, we talked about this prior to the show and I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. Not that it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, are you building like different experiences and you're trying and you're kind of pushing them out in the ether and seeing what works, converts, gets the most yeah. feedback. Like, is that what the, you know, how many do you basically build? Is it more than just two? Uh, yeah, well, so A-B testing, what it also can be um, uh, is a way for you to figure out if you even should build something. So a lot of A-B testing tools uh, like, you know, I'll give you an example, like, um, uh, Adobe target or, or, you know, Oracle has one called maximizer or, um, there's optimize, uh, optimizely, uh, you know, these, these are all, um, AB testing tools. And essentially what they do is allow you to kind of mock changes to your site, um, for end users. And so essentially what I could do is like, I could use one of these AB testing tools. And if you gave me, um, just a little bit of access that I would need. I could I could go to your, your site's what itandthed.com. Yep. I could go to like itandthed.com, and all I would need you to do is like um, insert one snippet of JavaScript into the head of the page, um, and then I could use one of these A/B testing tools to essentially change anything that you can change with HTML and CSS and even some JavaScript. I could change anything I want about that page, and then when I run a test a visitor hits your website. And essentially what these testing tools do is because you have that snippet of JavaScript in the head, uh, they jump in and say, hey, I'm gonna stop the page load. I'm gonna rewrite the DOM of the page and I'm actually gonna change what the uh, what the page looks like only for these users. And, um, you know, and that's why, like, if you ever go to a, a website when, you know, when they have a, a maybe not so great A-B test running and you see a flash when the page first loads, that flash is a telltale sign that, oh, there's an A-B test running on this page. Um, but the whole point of that is essentially to mock up, like, features that you could put on that page and, and like, how it would look. And if that test wins, you don't want to leave it that way forever because it's you're kind of holding it up with almost like duct tape and bubble gum at that right. point. But you do that because then that tells you, oh, by us making this change, we can lift conversion by like a half a percent or two percent or one percent on this page. And that on high traffic sites can lead to like a lot of money in terms of conversion. And so, um, you know, then at that point, you, you you would go to your developers and you would say, hey, 
we just ran this test, this one, I need you to make the page look like this for, you know, you know, forever or for this subset of traffic. And then you actually would have engineers go spend hours to build what you just kind of mocked up in an A-B testing. So I'm going to ask you the dumbest question I think I've ever asked on the show's history. Like, how, no <laughs> how do you know when you're done? Um, is this just a constant battle of like, and like you like you, cause I'm thinking, way I'm thinking about this is okay. Your sales finally, your sales are $10, $20. They finally had a hundred dollars and you're still tweaking cause you want to make it one ten, but then it goes down and you're like, uh Oh, what was it? I'm just like, again, I'm thinking of stupid analogies in my head. Um, I think you, you're picking up what I'm putting down, but like, how do you know when it's good? I guess it's, I guess it's yeah. a better way to frame it. I don't think, um, and I'm not just saying this is someone who like, you know, builds a career around you're never done with this stuff, but, uh, maybe I also am saying it as someone who has that career, but, uh, like, I don't think you ever can be done. Um, because even once you have your champion, so let's say you've, you've optimized and optimized and optimized for years and years and years, and you have a champion, you're, you're still going to try and test things against it because you're still going to have new you know, use cases that are going to come in for a new version of this page supporting this particular thing or this other line of business now has heard that, you know, this other area saw great success with this particular thing. They want to see if it works for their customers. You know, some, you know, some companies will have their, you know, their direct to consumer versus their B2B. And the way that you, you know, uh, optimize that page for B2B is different than direct to consumer. And so, um, so I think you're always testing because you're always trying to make it better. You're always trying to improve um, and get, you know, like I, like I said, like if you're highly successful and you're getting tons of traffic, um, you know, then even squeezing out a fraction of a percent in conversion is going to continue to make a big difference for your business. So you're always going to be looking for the extra inches. Yeah. You know, that's, I thought the same thing. I'm like, but the thing was more like, when do you know you're, it's good. <laughs> and you know, because I guess it just, the sales tell you at the end of the day, right. Or the engagement or the forms or the leads or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. It take, I, I would say when your conversion starts to taper off and, and you, and, and you like, uh, yeah. So like, that's, that's how, you know, cause, cause I think if you're setting that you there, of course are industry like baselines that you could look at, but you know, you might be setting baselines, right. You might be, you know, uh, outperforming. And so I think when you start to see over several months, things start to taper off and you're not seeing the exponential growth or, uh, you know, your curves flattened out, then, you know, like, okay, like, I think I have my champion. Um, and then, you know, of course, again, you're still going to test again. Sure. Sure. Now, this is one thing that, you know, you don't hear much about these days. And we had a small business uh, website designer on. So I haven't talked about that in a while either. I wanted to see what was new um, a couple of weeks ago. But like SEO in the enterprise. Um, yeah. You hear all these things now with AI kind of you can go to your big like Pepsi can go to Coke.com and strip all the SEO words that they pulled out and they can ma make it their own. Like what's changed in terms of enterprise SEO compared to, you know, when's the last time I had a refresher? Five years ago? I know it changes daily, but like, it seems to me that that's another never ending battle. Well, the biggest, um, I mean, I, I, you know, I know, I know people give uh, Google some flack for being such a, you know, massive company, but I, I think what they do with SEO is in the best interest of um, the user, the person that's searching stuff on Google. Um, like, the, the recent round of changes that they made uh, last year, and they, some of them went into effect last year, some of them are still going into effect, um, 
uh, optimized or prioritized uh, what they call the Google page experience. Um, and that's made up of like these five objective measures that are all based off of your experience as the user when you're hitting a web page. And so Google's looking at that and they're, they're like constantly going out there on a regular basis and, and looking at um, what the user's experience will be. And, and like, for instance, there's one measurement they have called cumulative layout shift. And what that means is, have, have you ever like clicked on an article on your phone and you start reading it and then a second into reading it, it jumps up because another image loaded on the page and you suddenly lost your place of what you Absolutely. were just reading. Have Every you ever day. had that happen? Every day. Yeah. That's called cumulative layout shift. And that kind of thing has always existed, but people will only prioritize it if, if they're, if either, um, you know, people won't visit their article or page because of it, which people just tend to plow through See, it. I always thought, but it, was Google to, I always thought it was to trick you into clicking the sponsored link in there. Cause it always, no, it's just poor tech. Yeah. It's just poor technology, but yes, it does do that sometimes. Right. Cause suddenly now the image loaded right up in, you know, but it's, it's just because, they didn't, uh, you know, there's ways to build a, a page so that you have these placeholders and spacing for those images. And you want those images to load um, slower than the content because you as the reader, you want to read the content right away. And and so uh, someplace, some, sometimes the developer won't put that placeholder in there. And instead, you know, you, you now get a page that's jumping around. Um, so Google actually measures that. They call it cumulative layout shift. And if you perform poorly on that, then they actually bump you down in ranking. Wow. And so now there's an incentive for people, uh, for developers, for companies to say like, hey, we got to actually worry about this. Um, you know, so time to interactive in terms of like the time when you land on a page, uh, how long until you actually can begin to interact with the content. Um, uh, you know, first input delay. So when you click a button on the you know page, like, uh, you know, how long does it take for... Uh, you know, the, the action you expect it to happen. Like Google's looking at all these things and, and, and scraping pages constantly and measuring it. And if you perform poorly in those measures, then they actually are now starting to downgrade you in SEO. And so, um, so that's put a big emphasis now on the page experience for people. And so I'd say that's one of the biggest changes in the last year or two that's happened when it comes to SEO, uh, that, that, um, that impacts, you know, everyone. Google's always judging. They're always watching. It's like, I gave, I gave into my overlords about 10 years ago. I'm like, they're following me. They track me. They know everything. They know what I buy. They have all my credit cards stored. They could, they could probably sign over title to my house and move in if they wanted to, but they don't cause they're, they're not evil. Not yet. At least. Um, so yeah. you've been doing this a very long time. You're very good at what you do. And, uh, you got, you got to own a com or you got to own part of a company for being so good yeah, at what yeah. you do. Um, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> yeah, no, so it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a funny story. So, um, uh, you know, I, I have, um, uh, you know, close connection with my, my sister-in-law's, um, you know, longtime boyfriend, uh, Marvin, uh, was asking me for some, uh, input or, or advice on, uh, you know, he had just kind of came into a partnership on a coffee company, uh, it's called normal coffee company or not normal coffee and um, and he, uh, you know, one thing he he 
knew right away when he, it was a, a company that had been around already for a couple years. Uh, one of his buddies was the other partner in it. Uh, and they had brought him in as they were actually now like starting to see the business grow and wanted to scale it. And, um, uh, they, they had known enough about, uh, you know, uh, uh, digital marketing and, and SEO and, and, uh, you know, essentially having a storefront, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to have this like Shopify site and, and to try and produce some content and try and generate some SEO and try and do some, you know, Facebook ads, like just a little bit. Um, but they weren't really seeing their business grow through that, through the digital channels. They were, they were growing a lot through, um, you know, through, uh, events that they were doing and some B2B, uh, you know, marketing. So like th- this coffee is actually, if you've been to Freya or if you've been to Chartreuse, um, those, those are two places in Detroit that carry this coffee. Um, and so, you know, they wanted to, uh, invest more in, in their, their digital presence. And, and, and so he's reaching out to me and asking me for like my advice at first. And then as I was giving him some, he was asking if like, I would kind of, you know, Hey, would you be willing to, for, you know, some fee come in and, um, help us, you know, and, and there's only so many hours in a day, uh, you know, and so like, I, I have a pretty busy job. I'm in grad school. I got two daughters and, you know, a wife and, and just, you know, no short, no shortage of things to do. So there's not really, you know, um, I'm not looking for some, you know, extra side cash to be able to, you know, give up X number of hours, but it did sound interesting enough to say like, Hey, if you want to give me some stake in the company, and make this something that I, I can be part of growing and then part of, uh, you know, if we successfully grow it, um, you know, benefit from it. Like that sounds worth it to me. That sounds like something that's worth giving up a couple hours, you know, in the evening or on a weekend in order to be able to help invest in, in driving this uh, strategy. And so um, so they agreed, uh, you know, the the, the partners, uh, you know, uh, Ryan and Marvin and, um, you know, have brought me in and, and, and now I'm starting to focus on what the uh, digital presence is of this, this company and trying to, you know, grow their, uh, grow their online. Um, uh, Just when I thought all the TLDs in the world were done, uh, they have dot coffee. So yeah, it's normal dot coffee. I just found that out. So I'm like normal dot. Co- oh, wait, is there a normal dot coffee? Cause we're actually normal coffee. Oh yeah. Yeah. But if you go to normal coffee, normal dot coffee at forwards, Oh, does it? Okay, cool. So th- there you go. That's like one of these things that I, uh, uh, I, as I'm getting up to speed in the business, I didn't even really realize that they did that. But uh, um, it's a cool, it's a cool company. So they, if if you're again in the Detroit area, headquartered in the Fisher Building, they roast uh, coffee in um, in Highland Park, and essentially what the, you know, the, the market is for this coffee is like, if you think of it as there's like, um, low mid and high grade coffee, uh, uh, this coffee really is priced as, as normal coffee. It's priced in the mid range for normal people. Um, but because it's direct to consumer and what we've found is if you can just roast really fresh coffee and get into the hands of people, like if it's good coffee and you roast it and you get it in their hands really fast, it tastes as good as high grade coffee. Like I, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm a, I'm a real big coffee guy. And when I look at the 20 to 25, $30 a bag like stuff and I compare it to really good mid grade stuff that was roasted yesterday, it's hard to actually tell a difference in that coffee, at least in my opinion, and, and a lot of the people we talk to, they, they have a hard time telling the difference as well. 
So we do direct to consumer. We get very fresh coffee that's roasted and shipped right away um, to people. And we do it at a more affordable price point than what you're, you're going to be finding at the high, the high end. And, uh, and if it's good enough, we find people will subscribe to it. And if they subscribe to it, then, you know, we get them new coffee almost as soon as they're done with the last order. And um, that's that's the business. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Uh, Normal.coffee. Yeah, check it out. Looks great. I, I went just went to the website. Um, and the la- so lastly, um, we see meetups all the time. And like we're pretty much a generic meetup, right? There's no one in mind. Um, but you guys have a meetup right now that's a niche within a niche within a niche within a niche where it's uh, where, where scrumdetroit.com. Um, talk to me how that got started. And I want to know what the hell you guys talk about when you (laughs) have your event. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, so scrumdetroit.com, um, that's something I run, uh, you know, with, uh, four other folks, uh, you know, that we, we founded coming out of the, the global scrum gathering in Austin, Texas, which was this big global gathering of people coming together, um, you know, that have figured out to use this development methodology called scrum, which is really just a very simple framework that is is so easy you know you don't have to take any any trainings or any classes even though they're offered to understand it you can like literally just read a page and understand oh there's these five roles and these like four things you do and here's how you run a team and you can use it to like it's not just a tech thing like i actually know a guy named uh, ricardo mariti uh, who lives in London and and owns an Italian restaurant there called uh, Ricardo's of uh, London. And he runs his restaurant using Scrum. And he took it from being like a failing restaurant uh, to being in, in the green and a successful one. He, he And he wrote a whole paper on it. If you're interested to know more about it, uh, I'm sure you could Google like Ricardo of London's Scrum. You know it at a high level. you can find this whole research paper he wrote on it. You know it at a high level. I do. Yeah. I know the story. I know yeah, the story yeah. at a high level. So, so he basically came in after taking this training on Scrum and he was like, I, what do I have to lose? My restaurant's failing. And so I'm, I'm going to try this. And so he came into his team and he said, like, look, everyone has job security, but no one has role security. All roles are just flat at this point. We don't have managers like we're we're just going to self-organize teams from from now on. And we're going to. Uh, we're going to do sprints, uh, and, and the sprint is basically going to be a service. So whether that's the lunch service or the dinner service, and he would huddle up the team as a, uh, you know, just one team basically. And, uh, you know, they would kind of divvy up like what everyone was going to be running and doing. Uh, they would retrospect at the end of each shift and talked about what went well and what didn't go well. And then they would go into their planning for the next shift. And for the next shift, they would take the lessons learned from the last one and they would plan out how they were going to run the next dinner service. And they would just kind of continue to iteratively improve uh, ultimately on the guest experience. Like that was their their goal was to like try and have a good experience for the uh, for the the customers. Yeah, I'm looking at this going by by scrumming. We were able to complete a process in an hour that had really taken a manager 24 hours. And I, I'm, I'm, oh, he's talking about the scheduling there. I remember them. Yeah, you talked about that of like it used to take like managers would sit there and, uh, you know, have to uh, try and figure out the, the every single week what the schedule was going to be for the next week. And it was a very tedious process. And instead, they just started to do it as a group and start to figure out like, hey, what shifts do you want to work? And they would just kind of trust 
that people would fill in shifts and it would end up working out. Like they would end up getting all the shifts filled in and it turned out all the tedious, uh, you know, overhead of a manager doing the schedule just was wasted work that didn't have to happen. The people could figure it out. Yeah. And it it looks like a dev board. If you ever walked through a software dev floor, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of what, yeah, a bunch of sticky notes, different colors. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so the reason why I ended up, I'll, I'll tell you having like passion around scrum is if you've been in tech for a long time, you've definitely been part of teams that have been like overworked, undervalued, always late, have customers that are never happy. And it's, it, no one wants to work that way. It's like demoralizing to be in that situation. And what I found with, uh, you know, Scrum was it it gave a, gave me as a, um, a leader of an engineering team, a way to kind of take some control back of that and make a very transparent process where I was able to just point to numbers and metrics about the team's performance to be able to say, look, we're actually improving. We're actually delivering more each sprint than we were the previous sprint. And here's actually the reason why and having some control in the process, here's why we are not being successful. Like, did you realize that after we agreed on the, you know, features we were going to deliver this week, we changed it five times. uh, And those five changes had this cost. If we can stop changing, then we could probably deliver early instead of late. And so, um, so that's kind of what, like, you know, Scrum gives you some control on that. There's a million other ways to do it, uh, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to say that's the best way, but, um, but there's enough people involved in, in, in that community that we recognize like Detroit doesn't really have a Scrum community. And if it's this thing that could be used for not only engineering, but for automotive or for running a restaurant, um, let's start a meetup group. Let's get some people together and let's let's give them the free information on how you can how you can take some of what we've learned um, in the community and bring it back to your your place of work and implement it and try and see if, if it helps you and if it if it uh, makes your life a little bit better. Well, we'll try to do a couple co-op events. We'd love to uh, host you guys and vice versa. Um, so you yeah. check them out on, um, you're on meetup, right? Or just scrumdetroit.com. I think it pointed over. Yeah. If you go to scrumdetroit.com, it'll forward you over to the meetup, uh, group and, um, you can, you can get, cool. up well, we're gonna, but, uh, yeah. Awesome. We'll look forward to, uh, seeing you in the future and, uh, we're going to cut you loose for the night, but thanks for the great content. Thanks for the, uh, conversation. I, uh, you know, though this whole Martic, like I said, I, I don't, as much as I, I will ever pretend to understand what Martic is, I think, uh, but you, you, you helped us a little bit. So appreciate it. So, hey, on behalf Anytime. of uh, Bob and Randy, do us all a favor, drink up your drinks, get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.